listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. This is the show that talks about identity and access management and making sure you know who has access to what. Let's get started. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Oh, not so bad. Yourself? I'm doing great. I, um, as you know, I'm in the process of buying a house. Uh, but I think the biggest news in our industry is that uh, there's a private equity firm, Tomo Bravo, that is making a much bigger purchase, taking Ping Identity Private in a $2.8 billion acquisition deal. And I uh, wanted to get your hot take on that. Yeah, it definitely is a, would be a hot take. Um, well, let's see. They bought SailPoint, I believe. I think they have, was it Beyond Trust? I mean, don't quote me on that, but I think they're kind of gathering a whole suite of security tools, which I'm not sure what that's going to end up like, if they'll just keep separate or try to do some sort of merge play. I don't know. I mean, I think it's interesting. I think this is totally in line with the rest of the industry seems to be having these periods of consolidation in the market. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I have, I'm, I'm not definitely an expert enough to be able to weigh in on what it means. I mean, I'm sure it's exciting for paying <laughs> to have yeah. a ticket, a bunch of money in. Well, I think that, you know, I mean, my hot take is that they must have seen um, the value, like underlying value, either, you know, combining the companies that they have, or even just the fact that, hey, here's this company that went public. Its stock price has been beat up a little bit because of the decline in the in the market. And I mean, they're, they're probably smart. They see that identity is at the center of information security. <laughs> That's the biggest area that companies are going to, to continue to invest in. And if they can go ahead and, and get a good deal on a company like this, um, that it makes sense to go buy it. And heck, I mean, I, I think they're probably more in the business of buying a company, making some changes, and then taking them back public, you know, a couple of years down the road after the market kind of would be more in line to recognize the value. So... Um, that's kind of my guess, but, uh, I think it's, it's earth shaking news, right? I mean, this is, Ping is one of the biggest players in our space. And, um, I mean, the, the, what is to come of it is yet to be seen, but, uh, that's my hot take. Well, there, let's, let's, let's be clear here, right? They're not an altruistic, uh, endeavor they they'll make money. <laughs> so they see, they see an opportunity to make money, which probably makes sense, you know, buy low, sell high, right? All that good stuff. So. I think every, you know, I think most of the market has been down for the last couple of months and it's probably, probably no better time to buy whatever ends up being, but you know, that's, this is all about money. It, it has yeah, nothing yeah, to do Most of the time acquisitions are, I mean, you look at the Twitter acquisition, you wonder if it's about making money <laughs> or, or something else, but, uh, I don't think this is in the same category. Yeah. I don't think so. I think it's a totally different type of purchase. I hope at least, um, Let's see. I know we're going to get to our guest here in a moment, but I do want to remind folks that we'll be at Gartner. Uh, I am Summit in Las Vegas in, what is that, August 22nd to the 24th. We'll be doing some recording there. We've got a nice suite courtesy of our friends at RSM. Um, if you want to come watch a show, get recorded, see the magic as it happens, you know, reach out to Jim and myself uh, or myself on LinkedIn, and we'll be happy to try and figure out how we can accommodate that. But should be fun. Looking forward to getting in, back into the, like the conference sort of swing of things, fist bumps, uh, you know, all the uh, inevitable invites to like the 40 different dinners that all take place on the same night, right? All that good stuff. So just a reminder, we'll be out there and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to, to meet folks who are, you know, listening out there and that would be kind of cool for us. Yeah. I mean, I honestly cannot wait. I'm really excited about it. And the funny thing is, so the conference is, you know, going throughout the week, I'm going to fly back and be moving that weekend and, you know, the, the days into the, the spillover in the week after. So this is going to be my, my moment to get a little bit of R and R. Well, I guess we're gonna be working our butts off, I think, but you know, being in Vegas is kind of a, a cool experience usually. It is. It's going to be tiring. We've got a ton of guests that you've lined up. I think you've like jam-packed my editing schedule for the next week uh, after it. So uh, I'll have to figure out how to get it done. But uh, yeah, it'll be pretty cool. Um, all well, right. The good thing we... I think for our listeners yeah. too is to, just to be aware that, you know, the week after Vegas, we're going to have 
a ton of extra episodes. So be on the lookout for that. And I think our next episode, so next week, we'll dedicate to kind of a preview. So at that point, we should be able to preview some of that content. Yeah, maybe I'll even read up and see what the sessions are all about since I haven't even done that yet. <laughs> all right, let's get to today's topic. Um, I think this is something that will that a lot of folks will find interesting. And that really is what I'm tentatively titling and who knows if they'll make the, make the actual final show title, but the evolution of IAM pricing models. I think it's something that folks are probably familiar with if they've been in the enterprise or, you know, customer space of buying products is the old, hey, let's do a perpetual license or now it's subscription and now there's some new options out there um, to help us with this conversation. Uh, we've invited our, our friend, Binod Singh. He's the founder and president at Atlantis Technologies back to the show. Welcome back, Binod. Thank you. Really appreciate you guys calling me back. I, I remember I think it was way back in Feb 2020, right? When I was with you guys. Yeah, and that was a very interesting topic too. I'm looking forward to a very exciting discussion. Yeah, that was definitely an interesting time in uh, the human race, I guess, <laughs> as a shared collective right. consciousness. Um, yeah, that was episode number 32. And here we are on what should be episode 159, which is kind of crazy to say. Um, I know that we've, we kind of learned a bit about your background last time. So folks are kind of want to get back to, you know, how, you know, how did you get into the IM space? I would encourage you to go back, listen to episode 32 and then come back and pick this up. But what's been going on the last couple of years uh, since really, I guess the last time we talked was like the pandemic was just getting started. Uh, what's, what's new and shaken in the world of Vinod? Quite a bit. It's been a very interesting more than two years since we met last. Uh, as you know, the pandemic has been the main topic for all of us. And in particular, I think for identity and access management folks, this has been a very interesting time. While the world was uh, was looking for things going down, things were in a difficult state in business as well as health, uh, one thing that was certainly picking up in the background was identity and access management because uh, uh, people working from home and many other issues that came up suddenly through opened the doors for IAM in a bigger way than it ever was. Not that a lot of um, buying happened at that point in time, but some of us uh, being in this space for a long time uh, were quite really looking at as to how things are spanning out, how technology requirements are changing uh, in our domain. And we were all busy trying to fix things and do things. Like for example, working from remote became a very, very important thing. And uh, we were trying to look at as to how, like most of the other guys, uh, can can do changes to our product. So we we were looking at a lot of things. Another thing that happened with pandemic, we could see that there's going to be a downturn. And even though the need for uh, concerns around identity and access are going to increase, but people are going to be having less dollars to really pay. So on one side, the demand will go up, but the uh, affordability of customers is going to be less than what it was before pandemic. So we were looking at uh, you know, interestingly enough, we began doing a very major survey in the last one year, more than a year now, uh, where we did uh, go to close to about 250 CIOs and CFOs uh, asking these questions in terms of uh, what what do you think? What, what kind of uh, modeling are you looking for? Uh, one, about the demand for identity and access, and second, as to what would be the way you'd like to purchase. So we were quite busy trying to do all that in the last more than two years. Sounds like a full plate. I guess I, you know, Jim asked me for my hot take on the ping thing. When you see, you know, a, a large PE firm like Toma Bravo make purchases like this, what does that feel like? You know, I guess being in this space, you know, from as a identity product, is it, I assume, is there some sort of validation? Like, hey, we're in the right space. <laughs> it probably helps. Um, I guess any, any thoughts or things that maybe People who are not, uh, you know, with a with a technology itself, and you see this, like, w what should we be taking away from that sort of thing? So, uh, this is not surprising, as you as you you guys were chatting in the beginning. Uh, this is a good time to buy, in some senses, and this is uh, a good time to buy those companies who do have a good and sound customer base because they have been there for a while, and it's very difficult to change technology in areas like these, as we know, even if you're not fully satisfied. Uh, but companies, we are, we are not, we're not really making much headway uh, 
you know, and facing a lot of head, headwind because of the kind of technology they have. So Ping has been an old company. In fact, uh, it's been one of the first companies, if you look at these, uh, our space. And in that, uh, they have so many technologies that they had to build. See, one of the problems with most of, most of the guys is that uh, when you begin, you obviously have the best and uh, the latest in technology. And as you begin acquiring customers and a couple of years past, two to th typically I see that as three to three and a half years, you, your technology starts getting old. And uh, it's very difficult to make a major change in your version. So you keep on patching up. And then you end up seeing new features and areas opening up like this, the CIM and so on and so forth. And then you start bringing additional technologies either through acquisition or doing some additional, uh, you know, going, some, going to do some additional engineering to develop new modules. And what you end up doing is having a bunch of technologies which do not really work out, uh, you know, as one single composite uh, technology, which is what uh, more and more happening, at least in identity and access. Uh, Jeff, you know about the converged IAM. And it was only in November 2020 that Gartner talked about it first. And ever since then, that seems to have become the real demand with customers because, uh, and, and most of the technologies don't satisfy. So I'm not surprised to see Ping uh, buy out because uh, it's a good candidate. It, it uh, has been there for a long time. I think customer, the number of customers that it has is the biggest, it, biggest attraction uh, in terms of its value. Uh, not so much of technology. So, Bernard, I wanted to to kind of shift us into our conversation for today, which is around um, licensing models for IAM software. And I, I'll start by saying that over the past decade, we've kind of seen a shift away from the perpetual license model. Like I buy a license per user and then I own that license for life and pay a maintenance fee to something that's more subscription-based. So I pay an annual only the annual fee. Um, and it's not just cloud-based applications that are making the shift, but even you know traditional on-premise software uh, applications have been making the shift in mass to the subscription model. And now you, you at Atlantis, your company has added a wrinkle to this, which is basically a new option called pay-per-use pricing. And so first I wanted to start with what's kind of the inspiration for the pay-per-use model. So the, as I told you, the whole thought process began just around the pandemic time when we could see that this is going to span out into the ability, uh, and, and it is going to hit the ability of the customers to purchase uh, IAM technology, and there's got to be something that needs to be done. And that's when we did this very important survey. It took about six months for us to do that. And we we were asking the CFOs and the CIOs as to what is it, what's, what's the kind of, uh, what are the kind of gaps that you see today in, uh, in your purchase model? And what came out to us were three things. The first was in terms of the high entry costs. Let's not forget that uh, identity and access, the, the real opportunity today, and more than 60% of the opportunity is in greenfield space. Customers who have not purchased IAM before, but they cannot postpone anymore because of the security concerns that they have. In fact, uh, more and more it's being said that smaller organizations have got more danger and they're, in, uh, they, they're more vulnerable than larger organizations for obvious reasons. And therefore, everybody wants to go and have the core technology like IAM. So, you know, but the entry costs are very high. Uh, you look at it, uh, Jim, typically today, uh, about 2,000 users, which is pretty much the size of a mid-market customer, high end of the mid-market, uh, you end up uh, spending about 200K, uh, and $200,000 is not a small amount for mid-sized customers to spend on a regular basis, on an annual basis. Add to it the, the difficulties of implementation and high costs associated with it and all. It, it makes it prohibitive. So high entry cost is one thing, one problem that we wanted to really solve. Yeah, so second, it seems like it's like from an infrastructure standpoint, this is a model that um, we're becoming accustomed to. I'm wondering, do you see a shift uh, in this area taking place for uh, application 
applications overall, not just IAM applications like Atlantis, but also, you know, travel and expense or ERP systems that they shift more away from, hey, we're going to charge you per user, which might not be the best indicator of how much value you're getting from the system and shift it more towards something like the amount of times you use a workflow or the, you know, kind of the, the uh, more of a usage-based model. Oh, absolutely. So this is not uh, just true for uh, IEM space, but also for, as you rightly said, uh, the demand for shifting onto a model where we'll have lower entry costs, where we have lower wastage, because that's another issue that uh, in the, especially in the subscription model is, is, is really very, very, very stark. Uh, in fact, talking to many, many CIOs, they say, you know, subscription is kind of illusionary because when you begin, uh, it looks like one more subscriber you're adding to your system. And it looks like a very small cost per subscriber, but then it ends up into being something humongous at the end of the year. And we don't even realize it. So it's very important to really see uh, how do we cut the wastage. And that's another thing which is quite true for other technologies as well. And the third is the accountability. Let's not forget that because in the subscription or any of the previous models, there is no accountability on, on, on the costs. Who's consuming, who's not consuming, what's really going on in over there. Uh, people can only look at the, uh, the amount that they have invested, but uh, the usage and the accountability for usage is not there. And these things, Sergey, uh, pretty much we see in other industries as well, not only in IN. Yeah, I, I, I was wondering if maybe you could give a little, when we did our prep call, you kind of gave some perspective in terms of the history of the shift from the perpetual model into the subscription model. And what I thought was interesting is that some companies did a good job with it, like Microsoft, others maybe not so well, right? So what can we glean from this and kind of apply to what might take place with the pay-per-use model? So we got to, first of all, know a couple of things. The market practices for purchase or, or sales, for that matter, from, from companies like us are largely driven by large players and their needs. They're not so much driven by the needs of the customer. Uh, if I look at the perpetual model and when the shift was occurring about a decade ago from perpetual to license, I clearly, you, you would remember that people like IBM and the oracles of the world were the last ones to go into that. And the reason was very simple. They had huge AMC that they used to get, you know, it, it used to run into hundreds of millions of dollars uh, that they were collecting, which would disappear overnight if they shift to the, uh, the, this model. The, typically, it's, the ratio thumb rule is about three and a half to four times. So uh, between the perpetual and the, and, and, and the subscription model. And suddenly, if these large players who were selling on perpetual, if they shifted to the other model, which is subscription, their revenue would have dropped down by almost half and they cannot afford it. I mean, what face are you going to show to the stock market, right? And nobody's going to understand that. So they, they tried not to, do, not to do that shift till such time it became impossible not to shift. When the customers began demanding and everybody started doing it amongst the smaller players like us. So we must understand that, that the practices are you know, the, the big guys, they do not, don't innovate. They don't go necessarily to satisfy the requirements of the customer. They go by, they have to protect their, their own share prices. And that's what really uh, drives the thing till the last moment. So that happened once. And the same thing is beginning to, we can see it happening again when uh, people are beginning to get quite dissatisfied with the subscription model something that was happening with Perpetual just about 10 years ago. So it's time to change. And the uh, you know, reasons are quite, quite clear. High entry costs, lack of accountability on the investment, and the sheer wastage that you have in the subscription because you have to sign up a subscription and perhaps for more number of people than you have because you're doing it usually for a year. And uh, you're not going to use it. There's, and then you've got the light user versus the heavy user. You've got the, uh, you've got, uh, you're purchasing, you're not, everybody is not using the same. When you purchase, you don't 
begin, everybody doesn't start using it because you're still implementing it. I am, it's very true because it takes time to implement. So for first couple of years, you're not even utilizing the full value at all. So once again, those pressures are there. And I think this, that's what is going to lead to another round of big change. And we are we're taking the leadership in that as, as far as IAM is concerned. I'm a fan of choice. And I think this introduces choice for the consumer, right? I think there is probably, um, you know, where options where a subscription definitely makes sense or even perpetual makes sense. And there's certainly an option where pay-per-use makes sense as well. And I think this is one of the things that you touched on when we were, what, what you just said is that shift from a subscription model to any other payment model has repercussions, especially for public companies where they are chasing sort of the next quarter or revenue targets or whatever it may be. So I think that it is interesting. I also think about it from death by subscription as well. I think most people will probably have like multiple video subscriptions, right? It's Netflix, Hulu, Disney. Uh, now my mind is blanking me, you know, all your, your YouTube TVs, right? All the different things you pay for. How much of it are you actually using? And I think about it in the old days as, as an, as an old person on this, remember we used to have minutes on our phones and a number of text messages that we would have as sort of a bank. And it feels like a better version of that because we've gotten accustomed to this usage model, um, of pay for it, you know, pay for it, you use, I think Amazon started this with, um, you know, their AWS instances, for example, it was from the start built on a pay-per-use or consumption model. I think it's easier when you have those sort of options that are out there. So I think it's, I think it's definitely pretty cool to kind of think about that choice. But I imagine, and I, you might have referenced this when we were just starting to show, is the technology needs to be there to be able to do that accountability, that record keeping and tracking to be able to keep an accurate count of, okay, who is actually using our product? I would imagine that there's probably some technical underpinning that needs to take place to support this. And I think things like microservices or APIs or whatever it may be. And if your application is not built on sort of that, that sort of model, it may be difficult to move quickly to a consumption-based model. Do I have that right? Are there things that I need to kind of consider or people listening should consider? You're absolutely right. There are, there are major technology changes that are required to uh, fit yourself into. It's not like shifting from perpetual to, uh, to the subscription. There, in effect, there was not much of a, a change in technology really was required. Your subscription got more associated with cloud, but typically doesn't, nothing stops you uh, from having subscription on on-prem as well, right? So there were no real changes required in technology at that point in that transition. But this transition does require quite a bit of technology change. You talked about the microservices architecture, yes, that does help in terms of uh, shifting to a consumption-based model. But I'm, just to tell you, Jeff, I'm not really a big fan of, of microservices the way it is seen by the world. Uh, we in our industry always have this, uh, uh, you know, there is, there is a flavor of the season, right? In for the last few years, it appears to be the microservices. But uh, ask all of us who have tried microservices from, from the beginning. There are issues with that as well. And like it always happens, the middle mark, middle path is perhaps the right path. So we are all beginning to settle down on a model which is not monolithic for sure in terms of architecture, but it's also not uh, too granular microservices. But yes, microservices does help. So we had to do almost uh, four, four to five months of work in terms of making the model uh, applicable, the, the consumption model applicable to our technology. Quite a bit of work, yes. I, I want to throw out a wild idea because, um, you know, I've been on both sides of, of the IAM industry. So I, I spent the first half of my career, you know, on the customer client side, in other words, buying IAM solutions. And so... One of the things I always struggled with, with buying software was, well, the software's already built <laughs> and yeah, I'm going to call in for maintenance and things like that, but how do you come up with the price? Because if you acquire me as a customer, it's not like you're going to have to build new software for me. Yes, you're going to have to support me, but that's the maintenance. And so 
more or less how how should let me turn this into a question how should i as a customer think about the prices being charged to me and whether or not it's a fair price to pay right i'm buying something that like a software program that's already been written and whether i'm the customer or not you've already built it you've already spent the money to build it so how do i you know compartmentalize in my mind that i'm paying a good price or not very good question and uh you know the i think the consumption model is the first model really addressing that question because uh you know all this while you paid a fixed price uh, whether it was on perpetual or in subscription for the first time you're not going to pay the same uh it depends on the return uh on your your return on your investment is going to remain the same regardless of you use more or less uh which was not true earlier uh, so what i mean by that is that you know if you consume more you pay more if you consume less you pay less so there is no one single fee anymore so you know that's that's the answer to your question because uh this consumption model for the first time is not fixing the price up uh, up front you not knowing as to how you're going to utilize and what's going to be a return on the investment and so on so this is an ideal model for that i think it is an interesting question because a lot of people are out there thinking okay well what is this thing worth to me and that is a highly subjective <laughs> answer right i think you know if you've got a coin collector i look at a normal quarterback okay well, that's worth 25 cents some other person might look at it and say oh well that's this year it has these markings on it which makes it more valuable so i think it is interesting i think part of it too is you're not just paying for the service you're also paying for the r d that went into it and the more people who use it the overall cost comes down it's very similar to for example the u.s drug market where billions are spent on um you know researching medicines and testing and things like that and the prices are so high because they need to recoup that investment that they've made to sell it out so they can continue to invest. Now, I'm not calling the drug market great <laughs> because it yeah. is a problem, but this idea of, okay, well, I'm paying, you know, it's more of a mindset, I think, of the consumer. Like, it's very myopic. I'm only paying for this piece of ham on my sandwich. It's right there. Why don't you give it to me? Okay, well, what did it take to get that piece of ham into the position where um, you can get it? There was a truck. At some point, there was probably a pig. <laughs> there was probably a farmer, right? There's this whole supply chain, which has obviously come into light over the last couple of years with the whole pandemic strain that has put on that. And I think it is interesting when we talk about, like, okay, well, what's a good price? And I'll be honest, sometimes, you know, I, I've been on the same, uh, you know, same, same as Jim, right? I've been on the consumer side buying these products. And now I'm on the other side of things, not necessarily selling product, although obviously service is a big part of what we do from a, from a, day-to-day -day perspective, but what is that worth? And the end, I think it's highly subjective. It's, it's difficult to put a value on it. If I told you, hey, you know what? I can automate all of your identity governance things for, you know, X number of dollars. What is that worth to you? One company might say nothing because we already have something or really simple or we're happy with it. Or another one might say it's invaluable because that is not the, the, that is not our sweet sauce. We don't want to spend our money doing things that are not mission critical to the success of our business elsewhere, for example. I think it's, I think it's a super subjective question. But no, would you agree with that? Or feel free to not. <laughs> oh, 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 yes, I agree with you that it is a very subjective question. But let me bring in a few interesting thoughts in over here because it's not so much about uh, what you're going to... Uh, you gave some examples, uh, and, and very rightly so. Uh, it's not not so much about the uh, spend part of it as the return part. Uh, you know, if you look at it from that point of view, uh, the consumption model is for the first time putting all the pressure on the uh, software manufacturer to d to deliver the goods. Uh, all this while, people have purchased because they got enamored by great demos, looks so so saucy. And, and you purchased it, and then you eventually found that you're not getting the return. Here in this model, just to tell you frankly, if you look at our pricing, if you get a chance, you'll see that, that we don't make any money whatsoever in the minimum, uh, minimum subscription. So there is a small, tiny subscription that is there, which of course gets adjusted against consumption also. But in that, you don't get, make any money. 
you start making money or we start making money only when the customer really starts using the software. So we are, and for, for, to enable him to use the software, it's not just the software that's important. How he implements it, who implements it for him. So we got to create a good ecosystem of implementers. Uh, we got to see that the implementation is done in a simple way. The, the whole implementation cycle is shortened. The support is very good from our side so that the customer continues to use it. So the entire pressure for the first time is now on the software maker, not on the customer. The second important point I want to make, uh, Jeff, is that the favored model, where Gartner also says the same thing, for the identity delivery today is going to be is the MSSP. And this is a model which suits the customer very well because, again, this is more like, uh, you know, more consumption-based. And our, our kind of a pricing model in technology now is 100% aligned with MSSP delivery. So that's another important thing that you got to see as to how easily the, the software is available uh, to not just the software, but to delivered software, implemented software is available to the end customer. And these are things that are possible only with this model. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the other thing too is this model that we're talking about, and it started with perpetual, now we're now subscription, now moving to pay per use. It causes a challenge for some folks when we start thinking about budgeting because there is a, you know, the, the, the further you shift to the right in that equation, the unpredictability or variability of what I might be paying <clears throat> could be an issue. The other thing that comes up, and I hadn't really thought about this until a couple of years ago, was the difference between CapEx and OpEx and how organizations budget for these types of things is a lot of organizations work on a CapEx model where they say, hey, we're going to set aside $5 million for some sort of improvement. And then they're able to kind of spread that cost over years, you know, through you know, accounting and things like that. But their operations expense is maybe not so high. And when you start talking about, uh, you know, subscriptions and paper use, now we're really talking more OpEx. And I sometimes question whether or not organizations have even caught up to the subscription model <laughs> because that sometimes is a challenge. And that's the other thing that I think about is, you know, I, and I think this, I'd love to hear your input, CapEx versus OpEx and how organizations should be thinking about how to budget for this. And then trying to address that predictability. I think you guys specifically have an interesting model with sort of minimums and maximums. And we don't want to turn this into a commercial, but I would encourage folks go look at Atlantis.com, check out the paper you paper 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 use, if I could say right. Um, because I think there is something there where you've sort of got this hybrid between the two that makes a lot of sense, at least for me. Um, but I'm curious. CapEx, OpEx, the predictability, how do, you, how do you address those sorts of things? Yeah, so it's a question of do you really want to address it? Because, uh, you know, when the moment you begin talking about, oh, I want to uh, put a million dollars, as you said, for the next five years, uh, uh, and, and we want to assign that to identity and access, you are forgetting one basic thing that uh, you, you're not really looking at what return you're going to get. You're only looking at spending the money, right? And that kind of a model is pretty much becoming dead, except for very, very large organizations, maybe the Fortune 1000, where they have no other way but to continue doing it in that way because they don't know how to do it any other way. But the smaller organizations, the mid-market and the smaller corporate, organ uh, smaller enterprise, they're all looking to save money, to make things more effective for them, to get higher return on investment rather than fixing the, the total amount of money they're going to spend year after year. In fact, they're very happy. We have spoken to a large number of uh, CIOs and CFOs. They're very happy to have uh, flexibility over there. And if they can save every year 10% or 20% over the last year, uh, rather than fixing it at a certain level and continue to spend that money, uh, you know, they would prefer that model. So having said that, in our model, we have certain predictability. And there are customers who are looking to have that predictability. Uh, as you rightly said, you can go to Alantis.com and take a look at more details, meet some of our folks to, to understand. But uh, we have provided uh, enough uh, facilitation in our model to take care of that as well. 
So, Benod, uh, Jeff and I have gone back and forth about this model, and, and you know, I liken it to utilities, like your electric bill. He likens it to, uh, you, you know, the gas you put in your car, obviously. You know, the, the price can fluctuate for both. I kind of think about my electric bill in December, I think it was like 45 bucks. And my most recent electric bill, I live in the South and run the air conditioner all the time. It was like 350 bucks. And so that's kind of that predictability challenge that concerns me is like, hey, if I have an event that drives us. So number one, I really wanted to ask you, do you like either of those analogies or do you have another analogy that's like outside of the IT world that you would apply? And then the second is, you know, from a tracking standpoint, how can people kind of go and either do a better job at, at managing what that bill is going to be, or at least have the visibility into what that bill is going to be? So, so Jim, first of all, you're not the first one talking about the electricity bill and, and, and the fuel, your, your uh, gas in the car. Uh, several people have asked me that question. Uh, just that that's, that's a simple model. You know, you go, you, you pay a certain amount of money for, for a gallon of fuel or, or for, uh, you know, a unit of electricity. Uh, but here you got, you're talking about multiple services. So like, for example, password reset could be one service. <clears throat> New user provisioning could be another service. And they're going to be obviously different value that you see under those services and the money that you'd be willing to pay. So uh, it's a great analogy because that's what really works out here. <clears throat> that's that's the fundamental on which it is based, but at the same time, uh, you you got to stop somewhere on that because this is more complex than that. But the fundamental remains that it's based on consumption. The second part that you talked about, and again, that question has been asked by multiple people to me. Uh, you know, talking about electricity, uh, so power consumption uh, could be very high in uh, winter and very small, and it could be one is to three kind of a ratio there. So that's very unpredictable. And how do you really take care of that? Again, we have, uh, uh, we've got some wonderful dashboards, which are real-time online dashboards that we provide, where you can really look at the trends that you have, uh, where you look at not just what you're consuming as, uh, as an organization, but you can slice and dice it to departments. And for the first time in this model, make, we're making those things available, uh, where you can look at how the trends are, uh, you can see last year what happened. And if you want to smoothen that, uh, we have got in the model that also possible. So we can smoothen that you for you so that you, if you don't want to uh, do one to three kind of consumption over the year, uh, you can smoothen that as well. But that will depend on the trend, uh, your trend, and not the general trend in the market. So it's very, very specific to you. That's a beauty. Yeah, I do like the idea of smoothing it. I mean, that's something that the electric company will let you do is like, once they know your consumption model, they can kind of use a predictable, even per month uh, payment, things like that. But um, Benod, you've been super um, generous with your time with us today, kind of talking about this consumption-based pricing model. And as you know about our show, we like to end on a lighter note. One of the things that we picked up on with uh, Atlantis, and we understand you're the mastermind behind this, is kind of a, a spiritual um, focus on uh, on your company and identity and access management. And really, it's kind of a tie back to yoga. And I said to Jeff, I, I think yoga is just exercise, right? What's the spiritual piece? So I'm sure you're going to give us an education on that. But the way we framed it up is, is what is the yoga pose that most describes I am? I'm going to start with Jeff, then I'll give my answer, then we'll kick it to you because I know you're going to give us more than just it's some kind of pose or exercise. But Jeff, what is the I am yoga pose that, or what is the, uh, the yoga pose that, that reminds you of I am and why? All right. Well, this is going to definitely show some of my ignorance. So I'll apologize in advance. Uh, I know yoga is more than just exercise. And I think, you know, I read a little bit of a Wikipedia article. So I kind of consider myself a little bit of an expert. There's different interpretations, <laughs> you know, based on whether you're in the West or the East and kind of where it came from. Um, I will take a view that I believe 
IAM is most represented by twisty three-legged down dog, which is sounds as complicated as it is because that is how it is. And I feel like if you're in the IAM space as a practitioner, you're probably spreading out in a whole bunch of different ways that aren't natural sometimes, but you still get it done. And that's why I, I always have kind of like this phrase of, you know, behind the scenes, there's like a bunch of IM heroes that are actually making things work for an organization, despite whatever the issues are that are out there. So I think of twisty three-legged down dog, which is sort of like your, your hands are on the ground, you've got your feet and you kind of got your back kind of arched. And then you take one of your legs and you try to pull it as far back <laughs> as possible. It sounds awkward because it is. And I think that's, that's the one I'm going to go with. Not bad. Not bad. Um, I was thinking about this because we decided this was going to be the question ahead of time. And I know there's a series of poses called binds, right? And I feel like having been an IAM practitioner, you're in a bind a lot, right? You're in this really uncomfortable position and doing something that a human body is not meant to do and you're sweating and all. But what I shifted to was something a little more with a positive lean, which is a pose called warrior two. And by the time you get into warrior two, you're, you're, you know, you're really building up that, that lather, that good sweat, and you're in a position of strength, but you're also in a position where you have to have balance. Um, so I think there's just so many aspects that the IEM practitioner has to have all those things. Uh, you have to have a little bit of experience. In other words, you have to have been, you're like midway through the, the routine at that point. And so that's, I'm going to go with warrior two. Plus it sounds really cool. So now, Benode, maybe you could take, I'm sure you do, you have an IAM practice where you do, or I'm sorry, a yoga practice where you do some of these poses. So maybe you can start there, but then maybe you can educate us a little bit more uh, going beyond the exercise routine. Sure. So <clears throat> very interesting question. Thanks, because this is one of my favorite practices in, as well as uh, subject matter in which I've been doing a little bit of work. So... The, the posture that really strikes me when I look at IAM is what the call is called in, in Sanskrit, uh, from where you know yoga uses the Sanskrit as the original language. It's called the Sarvang Asana, which means full body posture, and it's actually a combination of nine different postures. So it's one sweeping movement. You know, it takes about maybe about uh, thirty seconds or forty seconds you are actually doing nine different postures. That's actually the, the synthesis of the entire yoga, all the postures. So they say that even if you're not doing anything else, if you just do this, this is, this is it. And that's what I say to my customers and to the market that, you know, you may not be doing some other things in, in the information security, uh, but if you're doing IAM, that's, that's a full body posture like. So, you know, so that's the posture that comes to my mind. Uh, having said that, uh, you know, as uh, Jeff, you rightly said, yoga is not about uh, exercise. It's, it's far from exercise. It's not a system for the body alone. It's for the body, mind, spirit, uh, bringing about certain great balance between the three. And uh, I, if I can put it in a very simple way, it's about controlling the mind. If you do that for a while, and if you do it right, you will have your mind the monkey mind under control, which is one of the most difficult things to do for anybody. I've been doing some research in the area of uh, uh, yoga, how to use it for uh, controlling your energy centers in the body. And that's uh, being, I don't know whether you've heard Jeff and Jim about a technology called biophotonics. You know, our body emits photons uh, in the quantum theory that was uh, known long ago, but now it can be seen. And if you can measure the uh, the photons coming out, the pattern of the photons coming out of your body, you can really measure your physical and your uh, emotional states, physical and emotional states, yeah. And I'm trying to look at, that's one of my favorite uh, practices right now in the time that I'm spending in doing some research to see as to how uh, some of the things, especially the breathing exercises in yoga, how they can be used to uh, cleanse, to uh, to find solution to some of the problems with your body and mind system. So, yeah, so I think it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting 
the biophotonics is not something that I had heard about until uh, you had mentioned it. So, you know, I, I'm definitely no expert on it, but it seems interesting just from a, you know, study perspective. If I wanted to get into yoga, where should I start? Very interesting question. So uh, the most popular yoga is, uh, is something which, is, uh, which has got eight steps. And the first step has nothing to do with uh, postures and all. First two steps have nothing to do with it. The first step is all about training yourself a little bit and uh, putting your energy of the day in one direction. So uh, as human beings, what we do, we, we say, hey, we got to lose some weight. We got to become more healthy. And so we go and we join, join the gym and we're, we're spending an hour over there. And you come out of there, so the energy is being diverted, is taken in one direction. And you come back and two hours later, you're having a pizza. Uh, so your energy now is traveling in the se- in an opposite direction, right? Or you never went to, to the, the gym first. and you're still eating the pizza. <laughs> and you're still eating the pizza uh, or doing something else. So the first step in yoga is to try to channelize your energy in one direction. That's the first step. And the second one is once you've been able to do that, then you go and try to look at setting some, not exactly rules, but uh, some code of conduct for yourself. That's the second step. Only in the third step, which is the first true physical step of yoga, you talk about learning how to sit. And that's the most important. That's the beginning. If you're able to sit without any, uh, you know, without moving your body for even two minutes, I think you've attained something. That's the first step in yoga. That discipline, that concentration, I would imagine, is very helpful as you kind of find some sort of center to equalize against. Um, Okay, I know you've been very just with your time and want to let you get on with your evening. You're joining us all the way from India, which is fantastic. So I know we've got a lot of folks who are listening in that part of the world that will be interested to hear this conversation. Um, We talked about perpetual license to shifting to subscription to now this option of paper use. What are some final thoughts that you might have that the folks listening out there might have? Um, so as Jeep uh, pointed out, I think this, uh, this model of purchase is, uh, is, is the one that is going to, uh, there is no option uh, because the customers need a model like this. This is where the industry is going to go. We are happy that we have uh, set this trend up in the IAM space. But as Jim Riley pointed out, this is going to be uh, Fast forward another three to four years, and I think it'll be much more of paper use than subscription that you'll be seeing. So my final thoughts would be an advice to my uh, to to various other community members in IAM uh, to not just not just to the customers, but to people who are manufacturing software like us uh, to be looking at it seriously and try to do this over a period of time. So because eventually we got to look at what works for the customer, not what, what works for us. And if we look at what works for the customer, things would work out for us. That's what, that's our belief in Atlantis. Nobody's buying it. Nobody, <laughs> we're not going to be sticking around for a while. So it's important. How about Jim, your final thoughts for this week? Yeah. Just thinking along those lines was, um, you know, when I've worked with clients over time and we get into, all right, what is software going to cost? Usually there's questions around, well, how much are you going to use the software, how many administrators do you have? It's hard sometimes to even get that information, but kind of dialing it back, like the, the more information you have about how many workflows, how many logins you have, things like that, that's going to give you, help you with the predictability thing, which I think is probably the biggest hurdle to this model. But I think this model would revolutionize things and that in the in the end, it's going to put the power back in the hands of those folks who are making the purchasing decisions. Um, so given that, I mean, that's my wrap up on this conversation. And I just wanted to kind of go back to our original point about Gartner, uh, in a couple of weeks, but no, you're going to be a Gartner. I'm planning to be there. Yes. Okay, good. So hopefully we can, uh, meet in person and other folks who are listening can meet you as well. And uh, certainly reach out to us on LinkedIn and and connect. I'm somebody who will accept pretty much every connection that comes through. How about you, Jeff? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, yeah, definitely reach out to us. We w- definitely want to do fist bumps, whatever the uh, the greeting du jour is at the time. 
I'm looking forward to finally meeting you face-to-face, Benoit, which would be great. Um, you know, you talked, Jim, about some of those metrics that are important to kind of figure out the consumption model. And my thought is, those are things that you should probably already be doing anyway as an IM program. How are you measuring success? Do you have a dashboard that tracks those sorts of things anyway? Um, if you don't, think about it, right? Doesn't, doesn't mean you have to have it overnight. And a lot of these things you kind of build up over time. But I think having that dashboard of how many users, you know, how many provisioning actions are being taken, how many authentications, authorizations, you know, things like that, is certainly helpful to at least demonstrate, you know, what is going on from an identity perspective within an organization. But uh, I'll leave it there. Definitely will be at Gartner. You know, ping us if you're going to be there. We'd love to meet. Um, come watch us record a show. Come be on the show. Well, I don't know if we have any room slots. Uh, Jim's committed me now to an entire week of editing, it sounds like, uh, for shows the following week. Um, but we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, Benod, uh, I will leave uh, in our show notes a link to your LinkedIn so folks can reach out to you if they've got questions. And I'll definitely put a link for ilantus.com, I-L-A-N-T-U-S.com there as well so people can check out uh, what you guys have going on. Definitely check out the pay-per-use stuff because I think it is interesting, the model that you guys have come up with, and I see a lot of value in it. I, and if there are folks who are interested, they can you know reach out to you, Benoit, if that's cool, uh, via our show notes or via LinkedIn. So with that, we'll go ahead and leave it for this week. You can find us on the web, identitycenter.com, or on Twitter at IDAC Podcast. The live stream will return at some point, but we all have, always have our replays on YouTube, IDAC.live. And with that, we'll go ahead and leave it. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk with everyone in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and visit us on the web at identityatthecenter.com.